Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air. This podcast is dedicated to the millions of family caregivers who want wellness tips and self-care solutions, who seek expert advice, and who want news about healthy aging and how to create well home design in our forever homes. I'm Sherry Snelling, a corporate gerontologist, author, and educator, a TV interviewer, host, and news commentator. I'm joining you from Southern California, where our interviews and news take us all across the country to explore the many ways to help you on your caregiving journey and to lift you up here at Caregiving Club On Air. Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air and our October episode where we're focusing on National Emotional Wellness Month and Laughter Medicine, National Financial Long-Term Care Planning Month, as well as Train Your Brain Day, World Vision Day on October 13th, and World Smile Day on October 6th. I'm Sherry Snelling, your host, and we've got two wonderful guests on our episode today. The first is in more of our emotional wellness area, and that is Danny Klein Modisette from Laughter on Call. She's going to talk to us about how to address loneliness and stress, both for our older loved ones and ourselves, with laughter as medicine. And then our second guest is Lisa Rayberg who has been in the insurance industry for 30 years, and she's going to give us some really interesting insights into financial wellness when it comes to life insurance policies and what we need to think about with those policies as we get older. And then in our caregiver wellness news, as I mentioned, it's World Smile Day on October 6th, as well as Train Your Brain Day on October 13th. So we're going to talk a little bit also about the difference between mental health and emotional health. And also something from my book, Me Time Monday, the weekly wellness plan to find balance and joy for a busy life. And because it's National Book Month as well, we're going to continue talking about my book. But there's something in the book that I thought was really interesting called Emotional Frequencies, which is really being used now in medicine and in certain treatments. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And then, as I mentioned, we're going to get into Train Your Brain Day We'll also be sharing an update to our Caregiving Club book lovers reading list for you with some new books. And as I mentioned, it's also World Smile Day. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. And then changing gears and getting into our well home design news, I'm going to talk a little bit about emotional wellness when it comes to bringing nature inside. So we're going to talk about the wonderful properties of plants with air care, but also for boosting our mood. And then also I'm going to talk a little bit about breast cancer and how it has to do with our environments. I'm going to share a little bit about that that will help those who are either going through breast cancer treatment or some things to think about in terms of breast cancer prevention. And then finally, as always, we're going to end our episode with our Me Time Monday Wellness Hack. And I think you're going to want to stick around for this because this is, we're basically going to give you a five-minute exercise that you can do anywhere, anytime that will train your brain. So it's all for that train your brain day. And you're going to want to stick around and learn about that. So with that, let's go to our caregiver wellness news. So for our caregiver wellness news, I've got a lot to share with you today. I'm going to go through it fairly quickly because a lot of it is from my book. And I'm hopeful that you'll think about picking up my book and reading even more about some of these topics. And also I want to get to our wonderful guests on the episode today. So first of all, as I mentioned, it's National Emotional Wellness Month. And one of the things I address in my new book, Me Time Monday, the weekly wellness plan to find 
Balance and Joy for a Busy Life, I have to keep thinking about the title, it's long, is the difference between mental health and emotional health, because we often use them interchangeably. And while they're very much connected, I wanted to just give you a little bit of a definition and some insights from my book that I go into in depth with how it really has to do with brain health and some other things. But basically, mental health is the health status, if you will, of our psychological and function in terms of cognitive functioning. So for instance, you can you we know one in five Americans have a mental health illness. And that can be anything from generalized anxiety disorder to mild or clinical, more serious depression, and also things, for instance, like the uh, schizophrenia, which is the schizoid syndrome and a variety of other diseases and disorders that fall into mental illness. So that's kind of more of your physical state and the status, again, of your mental health. Now, emotional health is very interesting because the emotional health part of this is how we react in terms of our relationships and our communication and things that are happening in our world if we have a mental illness. So let me give you an example. Let's just say that you have a lot of anxiety, maybe a lot of fears, uh, a lot of frustrations, and maybe even some mild depression And it could be based on a lot of different factors in life. You know, very often we hear from caregivers that sometimes, you know, they suffer through some of these things when they're caring for an older loved one who's dealing with a devastating diagnosis or something that, you know, can be very painful or just the frailty and vulnerabilities of aging. What happens is caregivers will react to those feelings and eventually when they don't have outlets, like getting out in nature and taking a walk or maybe meditating or even eating more healthfully or exercising a little bit and getting good sleep and all those other things we know that can help our mental health, the reaction to this buildup of stress and anxiety is what we call burnout. So burnout then would be your emotional health status. So like it's subtle, I know it's kind of a subtle difference, but that's really the explanation on how those two are tied together. Now, something else that I think you're going to find really fascinating in the book, and again, I'm not going to give it all away because I hope that you'll pick up the book, but one of the things I did in the book is I was really adamant with my publisher on having some color images and charts and other things that I really, you know, felt visually reflected a lot of the good information and science and other things I was telling you. So one of these areas is in the emotional health section, and it has to do with emotional vibrational frequencies. Now, let me explain that a little bit. So anything in our universe, and that has to do with everything in space, you know, the stars, the planets, everything on our planet Earth, whether it's animals or humans or flora and fauna and everything else, everything has an energy field. And I get into this in the book, how for humans, we talk about that energy field being approximately about four feet in diameter around our body. And there are, you know, kind of some sonic vibrations that go along with this that I explain in the book. But what's really interesting is when we are reacting to our environments or to other people who are within that space, you know, in our space, we have different emotional vibrational frequencies. So for instance, if you're doom scrolling on social media, your vibrational 
chart score is probably going to be lower. You're going to have that lower frequency, which is going to be more in the fear, maybe the apathy levels, which are down on the chart, lower on the chart, versus maybe you're, again, taking a walk in nature, you're playing with your dog or with your kids or whatever it is, and that's going to really boost your vibrational frequency chart score, and it's going to put you up into the areas of love and peace, and the ultimate score at the very top is enlightenment. So I go into a lot of the details in the book, but it's really pretty fascinating because we also absorb the emotional frequencies of people around us. And so this becomes really insightful in terms of it's all tied to our brain health, okay? So it's tied to that neuroscience of how your brain works. But because of the people that we surround ourselves with, we can find ourselves being happier, being lonelier, being sadder, feeling more joyful, whatever it is, has a lot to do with the vibrancies and the vibrations that are within our immediate area. And so what's happening in medicine right now is there's this movement to really observe Take a look at what's being called energy medicine or vibrational medicine. So again, lots of more information in the book along with the chart so you can test yourself on where you might fall. And again, you're going to fall maybe in different frequencies, you know, throughout the day and on different days and all that kind of thing. But I think it's just really it's very interesting to be a little bit more in tune with our emotions. And rather than feeling like our emotions are taking over, we're actually the ones that are really in charge of managing all that. Now, I also mentioned that World Smile Day is coming up on October 6th, which is great. And smiling is really wonderful for your health. Not only does it work out about 53 different muscles within your facial area, which is pretty interesting. So it's a good facial workout. But also it boosts your endorphins, which are your pain relief, euphoria hormone, and also serotonin, which is your mood boost hormone. So smiling is really great. And there's a little quick brain hack that I'm going to do. I'm going to put it up on my YouTube channel and I'll post it on social media and the website. But it's a quick little hack you can do to kind of encourage smiles throughout the day. And, you know, I think most of us know that it's really hard to be sad or you know, mad if you're smiling. And also when you smile, it's a pay it forward kind of thing because then other people smile, they feel good. They feel like there's this connection. So it's kind of a really nice little health boost for us, a little health hack that we can do. Now, a couple other things I wanted to mention, October 13th is both World Vision Day as well as Train Your Brain Day. And this is really interesting because, first of all, I want to talk about vision. Vision health is is really important overall to our health. Very often what we see is that people who are over the age of 50 start to drop off not getting their annual eye exam. And let me just caution you because a comprehensive eye exam can now give you an early diagnosis, an early detection for things like diabetes and also Alzheimer's. And it's all because of the way that they can look at the back of your retina and see the blood vessels in the retina and make those determinations on your health. So it's really important, not just for eye health. And certainly as we get older, you know, we don't want to fall at home. Sometimes our prescriptions are out of date. We don't see quite as well. It actually becomes even more important to get your eye exams as you get older rather than less important. So I just wanted to do that quick shout out for World Vision Day. And then World Train Your Brain Day. Again, I've got really great information in my book 
actually in the intellectual wellness section is where I put it. And I have a great story about Tom Brady training his brain. So it's football season. Do a little shout out to the retired Brady. But he used a suite of software from a company called Posit Science, which does Brain HQ software that really works out different areas of your brain. And that's the important part. It isn't about playing a crossword puzzle or Scrabble or, or whatever. It's about working out different areas of your brain. And that's what this software does. And I, I find it to be one of the best products out there. And of course, they're also included in my book, but it's because they have so much science behind them. They have more than 200 scientific research studies they've done on the effectiveness of these brain training programs to make us a little sharper. And as I mentioned, Tom Brady used it before he retired from football. So he stayed sharp on the field. So it's a nice little, you know, brain training shout out to Brain HQ. And I'm going to share with you something that's really simple. You don't need software for it. It's free, but we're going to do a brain health hack, a brain health exercise in our Me Time Monday wellness hack at the end of this episode. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. Let's see, what did I miss? Oh, this is really fun. Okay. So also in October, we celebrate Active Aging Month, which is a week, which is October 3rd through the 9th. And I just want to do a shout out because there was an article in the New York Times and it was about a new workout called the Joy Workout. How could I miss that, right? If, if it has the word joy in it, I'm going to find it. Anyway, Jane McGonigal actually wrote about this. Now, she's a video game designer and she's known for that. But what's really interesting is everybody, I think, these days is talking about joy. And this is an eight-minute workout that you can do anywhere. You can do it at your desk you can, or you know, at home, wherever you are. And it really is fascinating to me because it's nothing new, folks. In my book, I write about how J.P. Mueller, who had his My 15-Minute System that he published back in the early 1900s, it's the same exercises. It's about moving and swinging your arms. It's about reaching up. It's about bouncing a little bit. It's about stretching, you know, but not the kind of stretching, the deep stretching we think about. It's just stretching your arms out. Anyway, it's pretty fascinating, but what it does is, again, it boosts those feel-good hormones, which I call them the four hormones against the apocalypse in my book, because there's four hormones that you want to be able to manage. You want control over your endorphins or pain, your oxytocin, which is your bonding trust love hormone, your serotonin, which is your mood boosting hormone, and then also your dopamine, which is your reward hormone. And there are ways you can do it. And this joy workout actually helps with all of those things. So check it out. I'm going to have a link in the episode guide page, but I wanted to just do a shout out on that. So I thought that was really great. And then speaking of joy, I mean, when you think about joy, you think about laughter, right? I mean, most people, when they laugh, they are joyful. And the thing that's so great about laughter is that, yeah, we can do a little giggle when we see a cute meme or a text or something when we're all by ourselves. But joyful laughter usually involves someone else, even if it's your pet, if it's your dog. I laugh at my dog all day long. But usually we do it in a social setting, which is really great. And again, that's a boost for our health. So I can go on and on about this, but I wanted to get right into our interview now with Danny klein Modisette, who, as I mentioned, is the founder of Laughter on Call. She's going to talk about this laughter as medicine and a lot of her programs that she's doing both to help people who have dementia and Alzheimer's who are in memory care, as well with employers who are seeking new programs and things for their employees. And it all is based around joy. Joyful laughter. So with that, 
I'm going to go to my interview with Danny Klein, Modisette. So I am really excited to have my guest on today, Danny Klein Modisette, who is the founder of Laughter on Call, but she is also a fellow author. And since it's National Book Month in October, I thought that was kind of exciting. Her book is called Help My Spouse, Please. Keep your marriage happy, healthy, and thriving by following the rules of plumbing, which I think is such a great title. And I think everybody out there probably is laughing right now that uh, with you getting over all of this. But it is great to have my Cleveland Club on air. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm super happy to be here. And it is funny about that title because people always think it's about like, take my spouse, like get out of here. But right. really about staying. It's about using the tools of comedy in a long-term marriage. I had this idea that couples that laugh together stay together. And then I kind of set out to prove that thesis. I love that. And I think this whole topic of laughter is one that, I mean, you know, I talked about joy. I read about joy in my book and wellness. And I think this is a real key tool in your tool belt if you want to be a happier person. Tell the audience really quickly, so you and I met when we were both on the Doctors TV show, which was really fun. We just bonded immediately as we were, you know, kind of with our nerves before we went live with all of those doctors and everything. That was really fun. But I also want to do a shout out and give you a congratulations because you were recently named to the Forbes. Now it's uh, 50 over 50 list. Is that correct? Yes, it's cats out of the bag. I'm over 50, everyone. Yes. Well, congratulations on both being over 50, but also being named one of the top 50 people by Forbes. That's really a tremendous honor. So we're we're really honored to have you on today. I'm going to launch right into this, Danny, and I want you to tell the audience, first of all, we always ask our guests, where are we talking to you from today? Great. So I am in Los Angeles, California, actually in Atwater Village, which I always say is the Brooklyn of Los Angeles because I'm from New York. Laughter on Call, my company, we do service the whole world, actually, but we're based in Atwater. That's where I'm sitting right now. Great. So you're a global company. Yes. Very <laughs> operating much so. out of Atwater. So tell us a little bit about what Laughter on Call is, but also the, the origin story. How did this get created by you? Sure, sure, sure. My mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. She was living in New York City. I was living in LA. And eventually I had to move her to be closer to family because she wasn't really leaving her apartment. So I brought her here to a wonderful place with a big chandelier. And so I thought she would think that she's on the Upper East Side, but no, she very quickly realized she was not. And she became depressed and withdrawn. And I felt really guilty about it. And I was at my dentist. And of course, because it's LA, she's also like a life coach. <laughs> and I said, I just don't know what to do. I'm so sad about my mother. I wish I could hire a comedian to cheer her up. And she was like, oh, well, you should definitely do that. You should, that's a great idea. You should do that. So short story shorter, I put up on Facebook looking for a comedian interested in gerontology paid gig. And my phone rang like immediately. It was a friend of mine who knew someone in LA sitting on park benches. She wanted to work with seniors. So the woman came, I hired her immediately. I said, come meet my mother and let's see how that works. And she did so much instinctively of what we train now in terms of like taking the person in, getting at eye level, making eye contact, being fully present, being honest. And she just looked at my mother and she said, I know you don't want to talk to me. No, you're probably thinking, who is this schmuck just talking to me? <laughs> and my mother heard the word schmuck and like she, her eyes lit up and she just started laughing. 
And I just hadn't seen that. And then, of course, the comedian, like, they said, schmuck, schmuck, like, you know, as a comedian will. And it was like this, like, schmuck off. And they were so, it was so joyful. And I just thought, oh, even in that moment, I was like, oh, no, this has to be everywhere. Like, why isn't this everywhere where comedians always need work? And, like, people in cognitive decline feel so isolated and I'm definitely a believer that laughter is the shortest distance between two people. And so, boom, that was it. And so then I launched Laughter on Call and started sending comedians everywhere. And then communities started asking for training for their regular caregivers. Like, And because I'd written the book and I taught stand-up at UCLA for 10 years, so I had a whole curriculum. And so I kind of broke that down and adapted it for cognitive decline. And so then we were doing all that going around training people and working one-on-one. And then, of course, we know March 2020, COVID, couldn't get to any of our people and took everything virtually very quickly, like that Monday. I said, you know what? Let's do like lunchtime laughter. We'll do it virtually every day, Monday through Friday. I want to ask you, first of all, I just love the concept. I love the fact that you really, it's about laughter, of course. And it's about that, that those joyful moments that, you know, that we all love, but it's about also looking at the person, particularly someone with dementia and Alzheimer's as still a person. And very often, I think that either as family caregivers or just as, you know, family friends, when the person doesn't engage in the way they used to, because their behavior changes or their language is difficult, or of course we know the memory issues. We, we sort of just start to dismiss them. Okay, let's just make them happy and comfortable in the corner, not engage. And I love the fact that you are like, no way, we're getting in there. We're going to pull out, you know, that belly laugh, you know, from someone or whatever. So, so tell us a little bit. Okay, so COVID hit and you had to go virtual. How did that work? Did that work out okay? And and what are you doing now that we're come out of the COVID situation? Well, it was super interesting because that lunchtime laughter that I mentioned was initially designed for people with cognitive decline and their caregivers to get a break every day, 12 to 1230. And what happened very quickly is that perfectly lucid people were showing up who were just feeling (laughs) lonely, (laughs) right? like isolated, lonely. Oh my God, I can't leave my house and wanting to laugh. And so from there, I realized the whole world is in isolation and we're actually uniquely qualified to address this with laughter because we know what we're doing. We've been doing this. So I approached a bunch of different corporate because I was reading in the Harvard Business Review and Forbes and the New York Times about how HR was at a loss. They didn't know how to bring their people together and how to deal with the mental wellness issue. So very quickly, like that November, we were we ran like I don't even like eight hours a day, we were running events virtually to bring people together from around the world. And then, of course, as the same pattern, like then people wanted training. They didn't just want the party, they want training. So now that's what we do. We do in person and we still do virtual. A lot of companies are hybrid or completely virtual. So we still run events virtually. And we do, I'm going to Virginia on Friday. We've done a lot of events in person as well. And they're essentially about team building and sharing communication skills and how do we keep people feeling a sense of belonging. I love, again, how it's evolved because it started with you wanting to address the issues with your mom with dementia. And now it's, you know, it's hitting the caregivers, the family caregivers who we know one in six employees are caring for someone over the age of 50. So they're balancing that with their job. And there's a lot of burnout in that, as you mentioned, emotional health stuff. So 
it's fantastic now that these employers are really tapping into the benefits of all of this. And, you know, we know that there's a lot of, you know, the feel good hormones, the oxytocin and the serotonin all come out when you're laughing. It's kind of part of our ancient brain. It's part of that being back you know, in our tribes and, you know, kind of playing with each other and laughing and all those kinds of things. So tell me about, there's a program I was really fascinated by. And by the way, you have a lot of really interesting programs. Like I was reading on the website about the laughter gym and the happy hour, happier hour sessions that you do. But tell me also about those, but about Balati. So I want you to talk about that. Okay, sure, because that's our caregiver training, Pilates. I say it's like Pilates for strengthening your caregiver core. <laughs> I love I, it. Yes, <laughs> I do like to keep, make things memorable. And it's basically eight tools. And initially, I was doing it at conferences, and people were like, I thought it was going to be stand-up. And so it's not stand-up. So now it is self-care, eight tools for self-care and creating connection through shared laughter. Because the self-care piece is so important. I'm sure you know about that Harvard gerontology study where people who are depressed caring for people, the person they're caring for has a 10% faster decline. Yes. So it really behooves all of us, even, and of course, caregivers are like some of the most selfless people. So if you tell them to take care of themselves, they're, yeah, all right, whatever. But if you know that it really does affect the person you're caring for. Right. It's a great impetus. So it's breathing, honesty, imperfection, letting go of the moment before, appreciation, trust, and timing, and yes and, which is an improv tool, and silly. And so each of those tools, then it becomes a guidepost for interactive learning, experiential learning. Okay. So that's how that, and it really, what happens most of the time, like we just did a big event in New York for Coterie and we like to take the whole staff. So obviously you can't clear the floor, but so we do it in two days. So we take half the staff first day, second half. And it's wonderful because it creates, it's a real community builder for the employees. Right. We have like the people in the laundry are in the same training with the people on the front lines with the executive directors. And the other way that sometimes I come in and work is if you need like an outreach to the community as like a way to say, you know what, we have a different approach. We're trying this other approach or additional approach, which is to bring levity and connection, human connection. And, you know, you raise an interesting point about this, Silly, because what we have found, and I know you know this, is beyond language. Like you can still make a connection beyond language. And I think that's what people don't, unless you've been through it and seen it, you don't really believe that. And that's why a lot of people are like, well, whatever, you know, when they are like, she looks great. And like, she's sitting right there, right? you know, but they are there. And so if you give people tools, just really simple tools, they are more likely, hopefully to show up, you know, and, and engage. Oh, absolutely. And I think, as you said, employers have really been struggling on how do we entice people back to work? You know, how do we get people back to work? And, you know, how do we create those bonds? I mean, you know, there's a lot of like, okay, we'll do an employee, you know, day off or resort or whatever, but it it isn't so much about bringing people together. And this is, I'm curious, how long does that type of a workshop if an employer out there is listening and says, wow, I really want to do this with my employees. What's what's the time duration that they have to dedicate to have their employees do this? So we can do it in an hour. I recommend at least 90 minutes. 
And like, we're going, the one we're going to do in Virginia is three hours. So it really just depends how much time you can afford. But the more we can reinforce the ideas that we're talking about with actual experiential games or exercises, if you will, the better. Absolutely. And I love that. And just a you know, little insider comment to our audience listening. You and I have talked about working together because I've got my workshop on Mutai Monday, which is about the seven wellness elements of life, but you really kind of, you know, address this in, in sort of areas, the social wellness and the emotional wellness, I think that's so vital and so critical right now. So tell us about, you know, some of the other programs that you have and also organizations, you know, people who are attached to employers or organizations might be out there, but also individuals. How would they tap into what you're doing? How do they get access to some of the programs and things that you do? Oh, well, they definitely can reach out to me, Danny, at laughteroncall.com. I've run a lot of family workshops too. So if someone in your family is struggling with cognitive decline, we bring like extended family together for education. So like a private workshop and we're launching a webinar, a back to work webinar. So it's funny that you mentioned that for employers. How do we do it right? Because this is a big, big struggle. I was just talking with someone about what were formerly known as soft skills. Remember the days when we called them oh, soft yeah. skills? <laughs> well, now those are number one, right? Exactly. Oh my God. That's what we were talking about. Like not so soft. Yeah. Yeah. All that emotional intelligence is now really important in the workplace, which is great. Yes. You know, we need more of that. So Tell us a little bit about if there's any stories maybe that you have. Obviously, the story of your mom is great. And and I saw personally some of your, your images and videos and stuff of how she just really blossomed. But, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen in terms of an older person who might be lonely at home, whether or not they have dementia? You know, how has this really changed their life that you've seen? Well, I, I always love to tell this story because, you know, it's called laughter on call, right? Because laughter, I, I couldn't call it cognitive engagement on call. Like that's, yes. you know what I mean? That doesn't get anybody excited. No. But, <laughs> For the academics out there. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but if you want regular people to get excited and if I want to have a yellow background, I got to call it like, you know, laughter. Like that's what people, it turns, that's exciting to people. But really, and this is the same thing that I learned with my book, writing the book about marriage, right? Like, yes, laughter, it turns out, is the byproduct of all these other different ways of communicating being in place. And so one time we do a lot of interactive storytelling in communities, right? And -hmm. there was a woman sitting and a lot of times what we do is we set up an improv like, oh, we're going on a cruise. Now, where should we go? It's a lot of take suggestions from the audience. And we'll do whatever they say at all level. You know, we one somebody said goat yoga. You know what I mean? Like whatever. Okay, great. Nah. But anyway, so we're doing a, a boat one and I'm passing out drinks. I'm like the waitress and, you know, you give them two choices. So it's not no stress, right? That whole idea of no questions where they have to like really search. It's just, do you want this or do you want this? And so I said, do you want, you know, champagne or a martini? And this woman turned around and she said, shut up, stop. And it was so great because I was like, yes, I will shut up. Now, why should I shut up? Like, what's going on? What don't you like? It's loud. Okay, it's loud. All right, you're right. It's too loud. It's too loud on this boat. Turn the music down, you know? And so 
So I'm engaging with her. And that is the key is not like I was really interested in her opinion and genuinely didn't dismiss it and say like, ah, you're not, you're nutty. Not that anybody would necessarily do that, but it's about the engagement. So that's the, you know, those are the best stories to me of like, how do we engage? And we had people during COVID, we do half hour virtual one-on-ones with people and there's a whole intake. So we know a lot about the person's backstory, right? So there was one who had been a voice teacher and written a book about voice, about voice. And so the the student comedian came to him for advice, ideas, tell me stories. We've had another situation where somebody was a journalist and writing an article about this person's life. And so you know, there's a, the whole, I wrote a whole thing about therapeutic lying. I'm sure you've heard of therapeutic lying. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it's a whole, people are always like, yeah, I'm sure that's real, but it really is. And so we engage in that way because what we're always trying to do is restore people to their dignity of like when they were their best selves and, and really had a sense of their contribution because that's a lot of what goes away. Yes. You know, that lack of purpose. Well, and I've heard you talk about this too, and this is so vital again in the dementia community, but I think in general, as we're dealing with, you know, older loved ones is to meet them where they're at. You know, so often we try to pull them into our reality and they just can't make that leap. They can't make that journey. But if we meet them in their reality, like you said, hey, we're on a boat. Okay, it's loud. Let's, you know, get that music turned down or whatever. I mean, all of a sudden you're creating this, you know, experience where they can really feel like they are engaging and not inadequate in trying to, you know, stay with the general day-to-day activities and stuff. I love that. Exactly. And I mean, I think what's really interesting and what we've learned is, yes, that is 100% true for people in cognitive decline. But guess where it's also true? Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Guess what? Guess what? Everyone needs to feel seen and heard. You know, the Surgeon General has declared loneliness an epidemic. And what is loneliness? It's a sense of not feeling seen, heard, or that you matter, you know? Yeah. Well, one in two Americans is what that report said that you just referenced, which is pretty startling when you think about it, right? One in two mm-hmm. of us are lonely. And my belief is that we need a balance back in life because we did have to isolate, you know, during COVID. And so that took away that in person. We've got to get back to that, what they call IRL in real life. And part of it is, again, it's the oxytocin release that you get by looking into someone's eyes, being close to them, the warmth of their skin, or even the smells. It's all multisensory. We forget about that ancient brain that still is inside of us saying, I need this connection. So while it's great that we've got texting and social media and zoom and all these things we still also have to try to do those in-person things as well oh yeah i mean i'm writing a piece about hugs you know what i'm saying hugs a day 12 hugs a day and yeah you know it's it really everything that you just said all that sensory experience it, it without it it's a deprivation that then it's like a recipe to feeling lonely and isolated right and I think people, again, we dismiss it because it seems too easy, right? Just being in someone's company or just laughing with them is going to make you healthier. And people go, well, how does that work? But it's <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And I think it's something that 
they're trying to figure out in the business world now. Like it's a new new set of rules of what uh, it's no longer so strongly separation of church and state when it comes to your being and your work being. But what are the rules around that? And what are the boundaries around that? Because I've been thinking about like, we can you, you can't really walk around the office asking for a hug, but right. I mean, can you? Like, <laughs> I mean, maybe you, there are people for whom, you know, like safe space, like asking permission, all that. Probably not. That sounded a little bit far-fetched. But acknowledging that the humanity is part of a corporate culture now, and it needs to be if they want to stay competitive. Right. I think one of the ideas for employers or anyone out there that it works with groups is that there was a great assisted living facility. I think it was in New York during COVID or kind of coming out of COVID really, because it was after the pandemic, they did kind of this hug fest and the residents were allowed to, you know, either wear a little sign or have a little button that said, yes, I'd like a hug. And then they got a token for every hug that they were given. And of course there was training about how to do the hugs and all that kind of stuff. And it was amazing how many tokens so many of these, you know, seniors gathered. And we know that, I'm sure you're writing this in your article, it's eight hugs per day is kind of the yes. prescription to release the oxytocin that becomes brain protective and also brain boosting in terms of our emotions. So love that. So maybe, maybe employers could have, you could have a little sign on your cubicle or whatever says, yes, I will accept hugs. I mean, totally. So great. Because you have to find, <laughs> there has to be a reason why people are, need to come back to the office. Like that's the challenge because nobody wants to commute and, you know, you get used to not leaving your house. So it has to be that the culture at work is welcoming and warm and accepting and productive. Oh my goodness. Let's not forget that the whole point is to be productive. How do we feel exactly. a sense of purpose? And and like you said, this like team building, you know, like joining your tribe, if you will, finding those people that you can really connect with. Yeah. And I've read a lot about this in the book, creating also the environments that are welcoming. You know, there's been a lot of studies around bringing that nature inside and having views out onto beautiful trees or whatever, and having plants, you know, that you can bring into, again, into your office or your cubicle. So there's all kinds of, I think, really creative ideas out there that all, again, tap into that that multi-sensory ancient brain, which so many people don't understand how their brain works. And we realize when somebody like you or I, I mean, I got immersed in a lot of the neuroscience when I was going back getting my master's in gerontology. And it was fascinating to me how much is of our emotional health is tied to that ancient brain and all of these things that we kind of dismiss that are so, so key. So, you know, Danny, I could talk to you all day. We could do like an eight hour podcast. <laughs> I'd love to maybe, maybe we can figure out how to do a session that we can share with people. And I don't know. We'll, we'll figure something out. I know you and I are going to figure out ways to work together. But, you know, is there anything we can cover that you feel is really important for our, our audience to know? Yeah, I think just the idea that all of these mental health principles can be customized to whatever the need is, right? So if you're a senior community and retention is a challenge and really where isn't it it's such a high burnout then then those are the tools that we bring in and that we focus on and how to create a culture where imperfection is a source of creation you know rather than shaming right right if you're just a 
marketing company or a global company, like we've worked with Amazon and Bristol Myers, et cetera. And what you need is for your people to feel connected to each other and to feel safe bringing their ideas in and that they're a part of something that they feel seen and heard. Like that's another set of specific comedy tools. And if you're in a marriage and you've been in it forever and you're not laughing, like there are certain, it's like, that's what I have found so remarkable and why this is like inadvertently become my like life's work because it's so transferable, all of these skills. And so you just need to come to us and we will help you figure that out. Well, and I think, you know, and, and again, if we're talking about family caregivers, it's finding those silver linings. You know, so often caregiving can be frustrating and it can be time consuming and you can feel burned out and all these other things. But there's also a lot of great silver linings. And one of the things I'm really grateful for is my grandmother who I lived with for a couple of years when I was very, very young, and my mom both had such a great sense of humor. So no matter what catastrophe, challenge, you know, oh my gosh, you know, I didn't make the cheerleading squad and my mom would figure out a way to make that kind of funny and we'd laugh about it. Builds resiliency. And I think we talk a lot about how particularly some of our younger generations don't feel that resiliency. And I think, again, these are really strong tools for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that is part of the back to work thing, not to harp on it, right? Is that these younger people, they don't have exposure. They're not engaged with other people and learn that resiliency that you get from maybe hanging out with someone older or being on a team with someone older. You're sitting alone in your apartment like, ah, you know, so absolutely. I mean, humor, having a sense of humor immediately lends perspective. If you can laugh about something, it immediately says, oh, this isn't going to last forever. This is an isolated moment that we can laugh about and we don't have to get suicidal about it. We have perspective. Exactly. Yeah. And we build, we build that resiliency. We build those connections, you know, which is really wonderful. Well, again, Danny, I love what you're doing. I think this is one of the, the best programs out there. Tell us again, because there's so many ways that people can engage. If you're listening right now and, you know, you work with an for an employer and you want to tell them about this, or you have an organization, or again, if you're a family member, a family caregiver, and you want to bring your family together over something that can be really devastating, like a dementia diagnosis how do the how does the audience connect with you again tell us great so it's laughteroncall.com is the website very easy me personally d-a-n-i at laughteroncall.com and all over social media laughter on call at laughter on call and then i am at danny klein modisette on most platforms Okay. Well, we will put all of that up on our episode guide page. I also did a little shout out because I interviewed you for an article for Thrive Global. And then I used some of that interview for the book. So you're in the book. You're in my new book, which is really exciting. Follow me on Instagram. I know I'm just building my audience. I have a great video of Danny dancing at a USC uh, function that we were just at an event. And she was having a blast. And it's a great video if you want to check it out. Yes, and always remember to dance, more importantly. Dancing That's right. is a great tool. That's right. Well, Jerry, it's just been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sherry. Bye. 
So wasn't that a fun interview with Danny? She is such a great, wonderful friend and colleague, and what she's doing is just so terrific. And before we move into my second great guest on the episode, I just wanted to do a quick little shout out, because as we were waiting for Danny in the green room, my producer said to me, oh, I really love your necklace. So, so for those of you who are watching us on YouTube, you get to see this, but I'll describe it. It's a beautiful rose gold necklace, and it's the Tiffany necklace called the Smile. So it's just a, a little smile curve. And I have to just do a big kiss and hug to my mom. She was a great cheerleader when I was writing the book. And when I finished it, I had done these pullout quotes and the design of the book had a little smile underneath each one of these quotes. So she bought this necklace for me to commemorate the completion and finishing of my book. So big kiss, mom, to you. Thank you so much for being such a great supporter. But with that, I want to get into my interview with Lisa Ryberg, who is going to tell us some really interesting insights about life insurance policies and what to think about as we get older. What is the value of that policy and what should we maybe be thinking about how it can be more useful for us? This is all part of our financial wellness, which is one of our seven wellness elements in my book. So with that, here's my interview with Lisa Ryberg. I'm really excited to have our next guest, and I want to do a little bit of a setup here. I'm going to read uh, from some notes that I made, and she can correct me if any of this is wrong, but, you know, three in four Americans have life insurance policies, and yet actually less likely to have a life insurance policy. Now, very often we can get these through our employers, but we can also seek to get individual policies on our own. And, you know, as we get older and our kids are grown, sometimes we might be questioning, is this policy really having as much value as it used to? So with that, our guest today is Lisa Ryberg, and she has been in the insurance industry for over 30 years, and she is a life settlements broker, helping clients sell their unwanted, unneeded, or unaffordable life insurance policies. So Lisa, welcome to Caregiving Club on Air. Oh, I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you so much. Well, it's great to have you. And of course, the first question we always ask all of our guests is, where are we talking to you from today? I'm in the Palm Desert area of Southern California, but the good news is we are grateful to be able to help clients nationwide. When I talk to people, we love to bring up the hometowns, but most people are across the country, which is really great. And I have to say, I'm just kind of a little bit down the road from you in Southern California, and I love that Palm Desert area. So it's just a beautiful area if you haven't visited it before. The weather's perfect right now, by the way. Sorry. Oh, no. In fact, I kind of feel like it's perfect all year long. Do you? Well, not in July when it's 120, but other than that. That's true. (laughs) Then you want to either be inside or in the pool, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's great to talk to you because you and I recently met on a business roundtable, and, you know, it's really intrigued by what you were talking about, and we always like to bring financial wellness information to our audience because that is part of our caregiving lives, and, you know, as we're all getting older, we're looking at different things, and I really felt like this is something we don't maybe know enough about and, you know, don't don't know the answers and don't know the questions maybe to ask, so I want to just jump into it with you. First of all, I'm curious, how common is it for other adults to consider selling their life insurance policies? I mean, do they even know they can do that? 
A lot of people don't, Sherry. So that's the challenge. That's my personal passion. So that's why I'm so grateful to be here. They don't realize that their life insurance policy is an asset, just like their car, just like their house. And yes, they can sell it. And yes, it's legal. People are like, ah, never heard of it. That's just a little weird. But yeah, they can sell it. And we help clients every day. And we're very fortunate. Yeah. And you know, what's really interesting is, so, you know, in terms of the types of policies that can be sold, now I know that for some people, they might get it as a benefit through their employer. And maybe you can explain what happens maybe after you've retired or or whatever. But also we have, you know, plans that we got when we were younger and started to have families. So what are the types of policies that can be sold? The good news is there's no type of policy that can't be sold. So what I'm not saying is that every policy we market for clients sells. There's reasons for that. But there's no type of policy that can't be sold. And what's interesting is sometimes I have people say, oh, Lisa, you're probably only interested in those whole life policies that have a lot of cash in them. And actually, the opposite is true. Our number one seller is universal life. And frankly, in our world, the less cash, the better. And we also sell almost as many term policies as universal life. So, you know, people think, oh, my term policies don't have any cash and it must not be worth anything. It sure is. And we sell a lot of them. So there's no type of policy that can't be sold. Okay. Well, that's good news. And, you know, how much money typically, is there an average amount of money that you can get when you sell these policies? There's not. It's so specific to each client, right? Their policy is different from everybody else's. And frankly, their life expectancy is different from everybody else's. So I'm going to backstory this a little bit. So thank you for your patience with this, but it helps explain how, how policies are valued. The bottom line is they can be worth nothing or they can be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And here's how the buyers view it. We're brokers, so we represent clients, but it's important to understand the buyers. The buyers are looking at how much premium are they going to have to pay because they're going to take over the policy. They're going to be the owner. They're going to pay the premium and they're making themselves the beneficiary. That's what they get out of the deal. And we love them because without them, we can't help clients, right? So they're looking at how much premium are they going to have to pay how long are they going to have to pay it? So this is not for people who are 33 years old and running marathons. This is typically for seniors because the buyers are looking for clients bluntly with 10 to 15 years of life expectancy or less, sometimes 20, every once in a while, a little bit beyond that. We do have clients in their 50s, but they tend to have more serious health conditions to fit in that life expectancy window. So that's a long-winded answer too. The shorter the life expectancy, the more valuable the policy is for a client because frankly, the buyer will get their payoff sooner. So policies can be worth tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars that people just don't realize are sitting on a gold mine. Which is amazing. I mean, I don't have a life insurance policy myself, but when I hear that it could be worth thousands of dollars at this point, it sounds really attractive. So tell us a little bit about once you sell the policy, and, and do you find that right now, are you able to counsel older adults? Because, you know, a lot of older adults are on fixed incomes, and with the increase in all of the groceries and gas prices and, you know, our, our daily living costs that have gone up that we're really kind of feeling that pinch, do you find that more and more older adults are looking for these kinds of alternatives, or are you able to get 
the word out to more people that can use this for things like maybe some in-home care if they need it, or even to pay for assisted living, because all of those things, of course, are out-of-pocket expenses. They're not covered by Medicare, and I think a lot of people go, wow, when they see that price tag, and now they need to tap into those money sources. So what do you find the, what's going on right now? How is the environment? Are people more in tune with this? They are starting to be because there is a big buyer advertising on TV and a second one is starting to do that as well. And that's a good thing because it raises visibility for our marketplace. We obviously have access to those buyers. We have access to a lot of other buyers as well to maximize value for clients. But back to your point, yes, we're seeing a lot more clients at least being aware of this. And we see a lot of people who, you are right, are trying to find ways to pay for in-home care, assisted living, memory care, or perhaps like a client I just talked to this morning, the premiums are just ridiculous. She's got a $150,000 policy on her husband that she's had since 1998. And get this, the premiums are $10,000 a year now to carry the policy. It's universal life. She has no cash in it. And it's just like, you know, that's like almost $1,000 a month. Do I really need this policy anymore? It kind of did its job for 25 years. And now it's just not, you know, fitting into my budget. And by the way, I now get, you know, almost $1,000 a month of cash flow. Right. Which, you know, if you listen to the news reports, they're telling us that on average families are spending an increase of seven to $9,000 a year just because of the cost of living. So you're going to try to run around and put that into your, you know, what that cost of living is. But the good news is you have the ability and the flexibility of doing that, which is great. So you mentioned about your policy, you know, doesn't have to be huge, doesn't have to be certain, you know, terms or whatever. You can really work with anybody and let them know at least what the value might be. Also, a little bit about what's the first step in thinking about this? Like, for instance, should you talk to your financial planner? And do a lot of financial planners even know about this? Are they able to counsel their clients correctly? That's a really good question. So I'm going to back, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. The good news here is that policy values of around 100,000 meaning that if, if the client's face value or death benefit of the policy is right around 100,000 can be a little bit below that that is where our market starts and above so my point is this does not have to be the million 5 million dollar policies in any stretch of the imagination smaller face value policies are possible so let me go back now I'm going to answer your question yeah they should talk to their insurance and financial advisors for sure get their perspective and here's the way I look at it we're the last stop on the bus line Right. The client has already talked to their advisors to try to figure out what they want to do with this policy. Do they want to put more money into the policy or not? Does it make sense? Do they want to reduce the face value of the policy? So where we come into play is those conversations have already taken place and the decision's been made. No, you know, we're going to lapse this policy, meaning that we're going to stop making the premium payments on it and just let it go. Or I'm going to cash it out, right? I'm going to surrender this policy and get the cash out of it. That's where we come into play. That's where I'm here to say, please don't do that until you look at selling it. Because on average, we generate three to five times that cash value in those policies that people surrender. And last year specifically, the number was five times. So they could be leaving a lot of money on the table. And the other answer to your question is a lot of in insurance agents and financial advisors, A, do not know this exists. And B, if they do know it exists, just my personal opinion, and I work with a lot of them nationwide and they're fabulous. There's a lot more that have like misperceptions as to what this is or how it works. And sometimes, bluntly, the life insurance companies will not allow their agents to talk about this. So if a client has, and I'm not going to call out any life insurance 
companies or agents, but if an agent is captive with a certain life insurance company, they're not allowed to even talk about it. So that's why this is not as widely known. Once again, it is legal. And more importantly, it's highly regulated by departments of insurance across the country. So that's really important for consumer protections. Well, and you, you kind of bring up something I think that we we encounter so often, whether we become a family caregiver for an older parent or grandparent or whether we're just an older adult ourselves, there's all these little nuances that we don't even know about, right? So there's ways for maybe to, for you to get, you know, more cash in your pocket and yet no one's really talking about it. And so it's either word of mouth or you just kind of get in touch with a good advisor like you or a good broker like you. Where, are there any scenarios where you would actually counsel someone to hold on to their life insurance policy. I'm going to caveat this by saying I am not a financial advisor or an insurance advisor. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm not. I stay in my lane. I'm I'm a life settlements expert. But yeah, there are. Like, for instance, I talked to a client a couple weeks ago, and she was trying to find money to pay for care, for care needs for her husband. And I asked her, I said, you know, we're happy to be of service, right? Delighted to be of service. But you know what? Ask your insurance agent or your life insurance company, do I have critical illness benefits that I can access? Do I have an accelerated death benefit that I can access? Because at the end of the day, that is going to be a better solution for her and her family than selling the policy. And in that particular case, good news is she did have it and she was going to apply for it with the life insurance company. And now I've run into similar situations where either clients don't have that or they cannot qualify. The life insurance company has declined to give them those benefits. So point is, yes, there are times when it doesn't make sense to sell a policy. Right. But I think what we're seeing is that particularly in this area of kind of financial services, there are things now that we're talking more about because, of course, we're all living longer. You know, we do have more older people that we're helping to care for in our families, but also as ourselves. And so whether it's reverse mortgages or some of these other issues that are cropping up, is is there anything we didn't cover that you feel is really critical or important for the audience to know? Yeah, I think I mentioned it earlier. I'm just going to mention this again because a lot of people don't know about it and I think it's kind of strange, right? That once again, this is legal since 1911, surprise, and it is highly regulated. So not only my side, the broker side of it, the buyers are regulated. So this is a very transparent transaction. This is not a three to five hour transaction. This is like selling real estate. It's like three to five month process, start to finish to do this right. But there's a lot of auditing that goes on. So there's a lot of compliance and that is really, really important. And once again, HIPAA protections to protect clients. So all of it legal and highly compliant. And that's a very, very good thing for clients. Yeah, I agree. And and again, just so the audience understands, this is not something where they can call you up tomorrow and get their money. <laughs> it's going to be a process. No, we a longer term process. We're going to be a longer term solution, not a shorter term solution. Yeah. But a great option, I think, that a lot of families should look into. And this kind of also goes back to being able to understand some of these things and know what that runway looks like, that it may be months, not weeks, is part of that planning process as we take care of our our older loved ones and even our, ourselves, our spouses and ourselves. So it's been a delight talking to you. And I'm so glad that we were able to connect with each other because this is a really great topic. 
and one that we don't often get enough into the details of financial wellness. And I think it's really important. So tell our audience where they can contact you. And again, you help people across the country. So even though you're in lovely Palm Desert, it doesn't mean you can't help somebody in Florida or Mississippi or Oklahoma or wherever they are. Absolutely. And we do it all the time. Um, So my name is Lisa Raber. Last name is R-E-H-B-U-R-G. My phone number is 714 area code 349-7981. I'll repeat it real quickly. 714-349-7981. And you're going to laugh. Here's my email. It's lrabrick at AOL. Yes, I've been in business that long. I know. And it's just easier. I've just had it forever and everybody has it. But so L-R-E-H-B-U-R-G at AOL or RaybergLifeSettlements.com. And Sherry, I do want to share real quickly a statistic where, once again, my personal passion lies. Two and a half million seniors a year, a year, will get rid of their life insurance policies. They're either going to lapse them, right, by stopping those premium payments and letting them go, or the other two, that's 500,000, two million will surrender them and cash them out. I'm just here to say, please don't do that until you look at a life settlement because only about 3,100 of those two and a half million last year sold their policies because they just didn't know we were here. So thank you for this opportunity to raise visibility for this solution. That is, that's astonishing. That's statistic. Uh, you know, the, the percent of how many actually know or did sell versus how many might lapse that policy. So that is a really, really critical message. And thank you so much for bringing that to us. Just a, just a little comment on your AOL. I have another colleague who is also AOL. And there seems to be a little like underground group that loves their AOL. It's not going to get rid of it. It's true. It's and you know what for me, it's just easier. You know what I'm saying? Because my other option would be Lisa at RaybergLifeSettlements.com. And it's so long. Is there an S at the end or not? I'm like, you know what? Everybody has it. It's easy to understand, easy to remember. So I know. And it's it's retro cool. <laughs> well, exactly. Retro cool. I love that. We're actually gonna have all of your information as well on our episode guide page. So our listeners who really didn't have a pen if they were listening to Lisa will have that on the episode guide page as well. And we'll see. Again, thank you so much for making time today to talk to us. This is a really important topic. It's my pleasure and my passion, as if you couldn't tell. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Such great information from Lisa and so important for this October, which is National Long-Term Care Financial Planning Month. So it's a great time to be thinking about you know, looking at policies and all of the costs of things and how you can cover some of the costs of long-term care, whether you're getting home care, whether you're in assisted living or memory care, or whether you need it for something else. So thank you. It's a big shout out to Lisa for that. So let's switch now to Well Home Design News. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, part of our emotional wellness is our environmental wellness. They're very tied together and how our environments make us feel safe and secure and comforted and become a sanctuary and that's a big part of my book. That's one of the seven elements of wellness, environmental wellness. And it's really about our neighborhoods and communities, but also our homes and also our offices. So I wanted to do a quick note on that. And that is around air care and plants. So what's really interesting, I came across some really great research. Originally, it was done by NASA. And it was on how certain houseplants can actually improve the air quality of your home. And the formula that they kind of came up with is that you need at least five plants, and they can be the same plant or different plants that I'm going to tell you about, that, you know, placed throughout the home will actually help with 
purifying the air and help with the air quality that you have. And so it's really fascinating. Again, when we bring nature inside, it comforts the ancient brain that I talk about in my Me Time Monday book and makes us feel soothed. But also now we know it can also help with air quality. So let me just quickly, and again, much, much more information in the book. If you're interested in all this, you can read about other things and science and what exactly these things do. But I'm going to give you four different plants, which are the top list. This is what NASA listed at the very top of their list for improving air quality in your home, taking out all of those toxins and benzenes and all these other, you know, things that we know are bad for us now for breathing and, and all of that. So a mini palm is really good. A spider plant also a small bamboo plant. I have bamboo, by the way. I have bamboo in my, my bedroom. I have palms in my living room and dining room. And then English ivy. And I didn't have English ivy, and I recently went and bought an English ivy plant. I just absolutely love it. Uh, just the look of it is wonderful. But I wanted to do a shout-out because think about that. It's not only when you see the green, it excites that part of the, the ancient brain that thinks about being outside. Again, it's a comforting scenario when we talk about how our brains work. But now also it can help with air care. And then the thing I wanted to mention, you know, we can't leave October without talking about Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which is, you know, we've done such wonderful things and done so much in prevention of breast cancer and treatment of breast cancer, really reduced a lot of the mortality rates and things that are associated with that. So it's just a great reminder and time to think about your annual exams and also doing your, your daily exams personally, but I wanted to shift gears because we talk about Breast Cancer Awareness Month and Think Pink is the color, right, that we see everywhere throughout October for to commemorate this. And I wanted to share with you some information about breast cancer and how it relates to the color pink. So the National Institutes on Health reported that approximately 20 to 70 percent of women with breast cancer suffer from insomnia. And it can be, you know, difficulty getting to sleep, difficulty staying asleep, you know, awakenings throughout the night, all that kind of stuff. So, and some of this might have to do with going through chemotherapy, you know, anything that we bring into our bodies that's foreign is going to upset those circadian rhythms and, you know, it makes things tougher, right? So something that I wrote about in the book, and it has to do again with the color of the sonic hues. And this is really interesting science because it has to do with both the sounds as well as how our brain works. And then the colors of sound, because, you know, sound also has colors. And so when we talk about the sonic hues, the spectrum of colors, there are two colors that actually really help calm us down for the most part. Now, when we talk about sleep science, you probably have heard of white noise. That's a constant, consistent hum, like a, you know, a fan or a hair blower. It's got one sound and it's just a consistent frequency. When we talk about the kinds of sounds that really simulate nature, we talk about both pink noise and green noise. Now, I've recently seen some commercials talking about green noise, and I think they went with green noise because, hey, it's a nature sound, so green, right? Okay, fine, I'll give that to you. But I'm get, I'm here to tell you, noise is better. And it's it all has to do with where it fits on this 
nanometer of where the sound vibrancy and frequency is. But pink noise is better than green noise, although they're very similar. They, they simulate things like beautiful waves on a beach, on the sand, raindrops, you know, on the leaves, just really wonderful nature sounds like that. And those are the frequencies that go up and down throughout the night. Well, the pink noise is in the right spectrum on that sonic hues to get you to sleep faster and keep you asleep. So if you're thinking about things like, what can I do to better my sleep? And I don't want to take a, you know, a prescription sleep aid. Think about this pink noise, vibrational frequencies that have to do with sound and with those, you know, again, it's multi-sensory, but what that pink noise does is trigger the brain to think it's in nature. And that is going to give you again, that soothing calm of being able to get to sleep and feel comforted and secure and safe. So just a little shout out there to pink noise for breast cancer month. Now, let's go to our Me Time Monday wellness hack, which is our brain health hack. This is my little brain exercise. It doesn't cost a thing. It only takes five minutes. You can do it anywhere. And I think it's really helpful. So with that, here's our Me Time Monday wellness hack on our multi-sensory meditation and using your five senses to work out your brain. Welcome to our Me Time Monday Wellness Hack. This episode, we focus on October 13th, National Train Your Brain Day. And with this multi-sensory meditation exercise, I use in my Me Time Monday workshops and which is also included in my new book, Me Time Monday. The best brain exercises are those that work out multiple areas of the brain. When we focus on each of our five senses, this is the best cross-training we can do for brain health as it flexes the strength of multiple brain regions and taps into our ancient brain to help create calm after a stress response. See how you feel after spending five minutes on the following brain exercise. Look around you and see if you can identify five things in just one minute. We know vision loss can affect our overall health and even lead to a risk for Alzheimer's. As we age, the muscles that control the size of our pupils actually shrink. In fact, at age 75, we need three times more light than we did at age 25. And the lens on the front of our eyes has less flexibility and hardens, making it harder to bounce images to the retina, which is why we all reach for our reading glasses in our 30s and 40s. And because of the daily technology we use and the close-up screen work that we do, all of this is causing even our children to have nearsightedness earlier in life. It is also causing older eyes to become strained and dry because we are not blinking as often. We need to exercise our eyes every day by stopping every 20 minutes and staring at things at least 20 feet away for 20 seconds. When you focus on your sight sense, you slow your breathing and exercise your eye and occipital lobe area of the brain. So take one minute now and visually take in the wonder of the distant world around you and identify five different things. Now we're going to turn to our immediate space. Can you touch and feel four things in just one minute? Scientists have proven human beings cannot thrive without touch. We think of touch as human touch, which releases oxytocin, the feel-good hormone that makes us feel love and warmth and bonding. A touch can be clothing or lotion or a warm puppy. Scientists also know people who are stressed tend to touch their face more often throughout the day for comfort and clarity of thinking. 
But whether it is human touch or something tactile like touching a soft sweater or a cup of coffee or squeezing a stress ball, touch works out your sensory cortex and creates emotions that are essential to survival such as comfort, empowerment, and relief. What four things can you touch right now in your immediate area? Do you have objects that can help create the feelings you need? Warmth, strength, relief, comfort? Have them at your fingertips for quick, touchy-feely breaks throughout the day. And don't forget the hugs. They help us heal and have hope. Go ahead now and take one minute and reach out and touch four different things. The next is sound. You want to sit very still and see if you can hear three different sounds in just one minute. Simon and Garfunkel wrote one of their best-selling songs, The Sound of Silence, in the 1960s for the soundtrack to the movie The Graduate. But we know sounds, not silence, actually make us healthier. Songs and music are a powerful therapeutic tool, and when singing along or even playing an instrument, You are giving your brain a full workout where every region in the brain is engaged. This is why music therapy has been used to spark memories and movement in patients with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and helps reduce pain and improve flexibility during physical rehabilitation after surgery. Listening for sounds works out the auditory cortex and music memory is the last to fade in someone with Alzheimer's. The digital technology we have in our daily lives, the overwhelming noise pollution, demands that we do a daily digital detox to listen to natural sounds. Take one minute now and listen to the sounds around you. See if you can identify three different sounds in the next minute. Now, smell is a very important sense. You might have to maybe get up and walk around for this next one, but see if you can smell two different scents in the next minute. You know, we talk about stop and smell the roses. Remember that old saying? It meant take a pause. We know scent can evoke strong memories. Think of the famous French novelist Marcel Proust and his famous Madeleine cookies. We also know a loss of scent is typically tied to neurodegeneration of the brain and is one of the early risk signs of Alzheimer's. The olfactory bulb of the brain lights up with different scents such as lavender, which is calming, peppermint, which is stimulating, or rosemary, which improves memory and cognitive performance. And all of these, as well as others, are being used in modern healthcare treatment today. Take one minute and what do you smell? Maybe you need to open a window or better yet, step outside. Are there fragrant flowers? Maybe a faint sea breeze or mountain pine or other favorite scent. Go ahead now and take one minute and see if you can identify two different scents. And finally, we saved the best for last. We're going to take a bite of something. We're going to savor the taste, the feeling on your tongue for one minute. You know, remember the the movie City of Angels where Nicolas Cage teaches Meg Ryan to savor the taste of a pear? It's sweet and juicy, but it feels also like soft sandpaper on her tongue. Well, this is how the French eat, and if there's one thing the French people know, it's how to eat well without gaining weight. Their secret is tiny bites and portions and eating slowly and socially. We often tend to eat faster and more when we eat alone. But it's also about savoring 
the sense of taste while you're eating. Actually, taste is really 80% smell. At least that is how our brain interprets it. Scientists say there are five main categories of taste. Saltiness, sweetness, bitterness, sourness, and savoriness, also known as umami. Of these five, studies do show that sweet tastes increase our pain tolerance and distract us from distress, like getting a shot. But all in moderation and go slowly. So go ahead now and take the next minute, find your favorite comfort food or treat, and savor the taste and the feeling on your tongue. We hope you enjoyed this Me Time Monday wellness hack. Each episode of our Caregiving Club on Air podcast features a new Me Time Monday wellness hack. And you can find these and more in my new book, Me Time Monday, the weekly wellness plan to find balance and joy for a busy life. You can visit me at metimemonday.com or caregivingclub.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Caregiving Club on Air. Please hit the subscribe button to listen to us on our newest channels, Amazon Music, Sirius XM, iHeartRadio, Pandora, as well as Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts and other listening channels. Check out all the resources and article links on our episode guide page at caregivingclub.com on the podcast tab. And you can email us with questions or comments at podcast at caregivingclub.com. Thank you again for listening and take care and stay well.